just realizing every time I get up here, people leave. <laughs> that's okay. That's the way it's supposed to be. As long as no more of you leave. You know, um, before the service today, um, Robin came to me and said, thank you for last week. I said, why? She said, because you were speaking directly to me. And I thought, I said, well, you're welcome. Um, but you know, it really wasn't me speaking, right? Do you ever one of the, have one of those moments when you're uh, here, and whether it's through the sermon or otherwise, you just know that the living God is addressing your life? That's what we're all about. That's what we want, right? And I was able to stand back there and say, thank you, God, because what God did last week, I couldn't do. I didn't know Robin's circumstance. I still don't. But whatever God led me to say had a profound effect in her life. And I'm just really, really thankful for that. I hope, in that, I hope that happens again today. I hope that you can leave here and say, man, that Chris, he is something else. Man, that man is brilliant. <laughs> but at the same time, no, I'm not brilliant. Um, I'm just someone who seeks to say what the Lord has for me to say, and, and, and in those beautiful, magical, no, mysterious moments, God addresses people's lives in ways that I couldn't dream of. I'm, it's God. God at work. So let's pray that God will work in such a way today. Gracious God, we come to uh, this time in our service where we just want to look into your word, the Bible. We want to hear from you. We want to know our Lord, that we have been in your presence, and that your word has spoken into our lives in such a way that we know that you're addressing us um, so that we might know how to respond to you. So, Lord, again, we pray for your grace and for your blessing. I pray, Lord, that you will move by your Spirit through me to touch the lives of these people deeply, that they might become more like Jesus, that they might fall more in the way of the Lord, that ultimately, Lord, you would be glorified, that your will would be done that these people might experience everything, they, everything that they can experience of you. So bless us, Lord. Do, do what I can't do, Lord, um, and cause us to know your grace today. Amen. Well, I've thought for a long time that one way for uh, me to think about how to live life is by thinking about the day that I hope someday I will get to at the end of my life, if God gives me that opportunity. Sometimes he does, I suppose, for some folks and not for others. And I'll have the opportunity to sit back. Imagine Chris Little, say, 80 or 85. I don't know, something like that. Um, and I'll have the opportunity to sit back and think about my life and how I lived it. And ask myself the question, essentially, did you live it well? Would you like that opportunity? Do you ever think that in some ways that that's a wise and good thing to think about? But even now as I live my life, I'm, I'm thinking of that day and it's helping me live life. And what I would suggest to you is maximize living. Live life well uh, in various ways. Did I take the opportunities God brought my way? Did I step out and risk even when it didn't feel comfortable to do so? Did I make the right decisions uh, when they were put in my path? Someday I, I hope I can look back and say, you know, you did pretty well, Chris. <laughs> uh, you lived a good life. You know, we've been looking at the story of Gideon. It's quite a story, isn't it? Um, 
His life became a life that was incredibly different from what he had known. God intervened in a given moment, and we've gone through chapter 6, and we move into chapter 7 today. God intervened, if you would, into his life and called him to something. And he responded well. He said yes. His life was dramatically changed. I can say even it was shaken. Um, but in the end of the day, he did what God called him to do. And he entered into an experience of living that the man could never in a million years have anticipated. It took him somewhere <laughs> that uh, he couldn't have gone on his own. But at the end of his life, I imagine, if God gave him the opportunity that he could look back at his life and think, my goodness, what a journey. What a journey. What a remarkable thing my life became. All because I listened to God and said yes. You know, we've looked at this early part of, of Judges chapter 6. Um, God calling Gideon from the wine press. You know, Gideon challenging the idolatry of his home village, if you would, engaging in the worship of God after he, he destroyed the idols, replacing idolatry with true God-centered worship. Uh, he lived through the threat to his life after the fact because people wanted to kill him, but God protected him. Um, he, he, he moved into this new re reality, and, and, and he was caught up in the things that God was doing. And ultimately, it led him to face this Midianite threat. I called them Mennonites last week, and everybody thought that was very funny. Can you imagine those violent Mennonites coming at you? I thought it was pretty funny, too, to tell you the truth. Got to laugh at yourself sometimes. But we're going, to, we're going to move into the rest of the story today, and we're, we're finishing up this morning, and we're going to talk about how God used this man, Gideon, to set the Israelites free. To, to um, produce this incredible victory over a powerful enemy that no one dreamed could be overcome. No one had a clue that this could actually happen. So let's pick up at chapter 6, verse 33. I'm going to read you the story in the rest of chapter 6 just because it's a cool part of the story. We're going to focus on chapter 7 today. But it says this, 633. Soon afterwards, the armies of Midian... Uh, uh, Amalek and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. So it's not just the Midianites anymore. It's, it's others as well. Then the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. I'm going to come back to that. But think about it. The spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Ebiezer came to him. He also sent out messengers through Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. Then Gideon said to God, If you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. I just realized I'm reading from a translation you're not reading from. And that is just what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Now we move into chapter 7. 
Let me read to you the first uh, few verses of this chapter. Early in the morning, Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength um, would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. Think about that first comment by God to Gideon in this text. There are too many people here. You know, I don't want this many people here right now. And Gideon must have thought, like, what are you saying, God? Like, really? The whole point of him mustering an army was to raise as many people as he could in order to face this huge horde of, of, of a united army that was going to come against them and they would have to do battle. And he succeeded. He raised 32,000, uh, a 32,000 person fighting force. What success it would have looked like at the time. But God comes along and he says, no, 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 too many people. I want you to send home everybody who's afraid. And that's what Gideon did. Now, there might have been a rationale in Gideon's mind at the time. Maybe better to have 10,000 soldiers who are filled with courage and are not fearful at all. Maybe it's better to have 10,000 people than to have 32,000 people, but 22,000 of them are really terrified and probably wouldn't be that effective. So, you know, that's exactly what happened. 22,000 people were sent home. No, so that they were left afraid. So that no one was left afraid in the army anymore. 10,000 people ready to go. 10,000 people ready to fight for God. Let's carry on from verse 4 to verse 8. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Can you, can you feel Gideon kind of, whoa, what? Whoa, God. There are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. As if God's doing Gideon a favor. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go with you. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the man down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands lapping like dogs. The rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with 300 men that have lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. 300 men. Gideon, Gideon could have thought, what, what on earth is going on here? How can I defeat an army that is, that is massive, that is beyond counting, the text says earlier, with 300 men? But I want you to note this. What indeed Gideon actually does is not flinch when God speaks. He does exactly what God tells him to do because why he has come to the place of absolutely trusting in the word of God. See, God had proved himself to Gideon. God proved himself when, when, when you know, he, he went and he tore down the altar of Baal and, and sacrificed to the Lord and God burned up the sacrifice remarkably. God proved himself to Gideon when he protected him from the people who then wanted to kill him. God proved himself to Gideon twice through the tests of the fleeces. 
And Gideon has come to a place, and it's remarkable what he actually does is just simply do what God tells him to do. And he trusts in God. Most of all, I want to take you back to that verse 634. It says, God clothed Gideon with power. God had acted in this man's life. And if nothing else, he had given Gideon the capacity to simply trust God when God spoke into his life. And so he believed God in this instance. And he ended up with a mighty, mighty fighting force of 300 people. You know what he is learning to do in this instance? He's learning to walk into the way of God. He's learning to live his life according to the way of God. And what that way of God is at its core is, it is not my strength, Gideon would say, or my weakness, he would suggest, that is at issue here. What is at issue here is what God has spoken and whether it is God who will come in power to accomplish the things that he wants done through me. So listen then to the rest of the story, verses 9 to 22. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no, be no, could no more be counted than the sand of the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend a dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and he called out, Get up, the Lord has given the Midianites into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The th three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shittah, toward Zerarah, as far as the border of Abel-Meholah, near Tabath. You, you know what this story tells us? You know what Gideon experienced? You know what the way of God is, as I have described it? It is this. Here is the truth, my friends, that I suggest this morning God, through his words, wants to communicate clearly into your lives that God releases his supernatural power in us when we recognize our weakness 
and obey him. I want you to hear that again. God releases his supernatural power in us when we recognize our weakness and obey him. <laughs> you see, the victory here is really all of God. Would you agree? It was God who called Gideon and challenged him to, to step out and, and, and enter into this very different life. It was God who gave him power, uh, clothed him with power. It was God who gave Gideon the strategy to go down and to listen to the, uh, to the stories and to the conversation of the Midianites. It was God who gave that Midianite a dream. It was God who led Gideon to that very spot so that he could hear this one soldier describing his dream to his friend. It was God who caused the Midianites to panic and to fight each other and to run away like little children, this powerful, overwhelming army. See, this is an absolutely ridiculous way for an army to be defeated, but it was defeated entirely by God. God and his three, Gideon, sorry, and his 300 men didn't even have to fight at all, and the massive army was overcome question for you and I want you to seriously think about this as the people of Jesus as the people of the word as the people who are caught up in the way of God have you ever experienced anything like that in your life and even more importantly do you want to you see, I want to suggest to you today that is maximized living. That is the adventure with God that God wants for us and calls us into. And I want to suggest to you that was an awesome way for this man to live his life. To see God's power exercised in him and to be part of something magnificent and remarkable as God accomplished his will in and through Gideon. I'm going to tell you, to get there, you have to believe that God will do this for you, in you, through you. You've got to know that this is the way that God functions. You see, that, that it's, 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 my, it's through my weakness that God can act powerfully, not through my strength. I don't have to be strong. I don't have to be capable. I don't even have to be smart for God to do re remarkable and wonderful and beautiful things through my life if only I'm willing to say yes to him. See, this is the way of God. I, I hope you fully understand this dynamic. This is the way God operates. Think of the biblical examples. You know, you know that Pharaoh is chasing down the Israelites after they have left Egypt as, as slaves. They're still not a nation. There's, there's no real army there to speak of. They're, they still have this slave mentality. They're not organized in any particular fashion. And Pharaoh and his army is coming to, to recapture and destroy them. What, what, what causes Pharaoh's army to be destroyed? Is it the people of God? Is it Moses? That's God. He opens the Red Sea. They escape on dry land. Pharaoh and Pharaoh's army chases it in. God causes the water to cover them, and the army again is completely annihilated. Can you imagine being one of those people? Pharaoh is gone. His threat in my life is gone. It's all of God. You know, another uh, example is Samson, another one of the great judges that God raises up in his stories in the book of Judges. This man who had the long hair, and God said, don't cut your hair or you'll lose your strength. He was a mighty warrior. Well, as it ends up, his hair was cut, and he became weak. He was captured. He was chained as a criminal. His eyes were gouged out. But where did God use that man most powerfully to overcome his enemies? 
not on the battlefield. And that day when he was chained to the pillars in a temple and the entire Philistine leadership was there and God gave him the strength and he pulled those pillars down and the, the building collapsed upon the Philistine leadership and it was destroyed. In weakness, God moved in power. Think about the great King David, the greatest king of Israel. But I want to tell you, my friends, as some of you know, he was the least of the sons of Jesse, the one that everybody thought wouldn't and couldn't become a king. He's just a boy. He can't become king. But God used that man in powerful ways. And of course, the greatest example of all is the person of Jesus. When God's power was exercised, how? As a weak and beaten and defeated man died on a cross, or so it appeared. In that moment, the power of God overcame the power of evil, and it was done. I want to read 2 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10. It's kind of like the classic passage in the Bible about these things. It says this. Paul is pleading with God to take away a thorn in the flesh, something that really troubled him, a messenger of Satan, he called it. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he, the Lord, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Listen, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. My friends, can you, can you grasp this? Will you, will you embrace this? Will you accept this and even start living according to this biblical reality, this truth, that it is in our weakness that we become strongest for God, that it is in our weakness, when we recognize our weakness, that God's supernatural power is released in and through us so that we can participate in the incredible things that God is doing. And I'm here to tell you today that every single person who claims the name of Jesus can experience this. They can live the reality if they so choose. You see, this is the first of a number of things I want to suggest to you that Gideon needed to embrace, and probably the most important, that it's not up to me and my strength. It's irrelevant. It's up to God and his strength and what he wants me to do. Now, what else did Gideon need to know? He, <laughs> what, what he needed to, to really encounter this life was to listen to God and to do exactly what God told him to do. Now, I can go through from the beginning of chapter 6 to the end of chapter 7 and talk about time after time after time that in the end, Gideon did what God told him to do. But in this instance, in this, in, in, in this remarkable um, scenario, what did God tell him to do? Well, God told him to raise an army. He raised an army. God told him to send two-thirds of it home. He sent them home. God told him to send 9,700 9, more home. He sent them home. <laughs> He, he, he was a man in this place of time where he just would listen to God and he would do what the Lord told him to do. We want to enter into this way of God. We better start listening to God, maybe in a new way and being committed clearly and passionately and absolutely to obedience to the Lord. What else did he do? <laughs> Number three. I want, I want to read this verse to you again. 
after you know he he heard the story by the soldier who had had the dream and he realized that God had had done something remarkable and after he, you know he 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 came to the, this conviction that that God had sowed fear into the minds of his enemies what did he do verse 15 when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation he bowed down and worshiped <laughs> i mentioned it last week too worship in the lives of the believers is a critical dynamic if we're to continue on in the experience of this way with God. See, he got into God's presence. He said, oh God, thank you that you've, got, you've caught me up in the things that you were doing in this world. Thank you that you gave that man that dream. Thank you that you, you brought me to the place. You took me to that very place in, on the outskirts of the camp of this massive horde so that I would hear it. It's remarkable, God. You're an incredible God. And thank you, God, you have sowed fear into the hearts of my enemy. See, it, was in wor it is worship that comes immediately before the great victory. It's a sustaining, empowering time when he encountered the living God and was transformed and enabled to carry on. So what did he do from that point forward? Number four, he led according to his giftedness. What did he do? <laughs> Well, he, he told the 300, let's go. Let's get this done. He inspired his men. The Lord has given them into our hands, he said. He divided them into three groups. He gave them trumpets and jars, tools needed for them to be effective. He told them to follow his lead. He went first. He was the example. He told them when to do what they needed to do when they needed to do it. And the point I want to make here, my friends, if you compare Gideon in the wine press to Gideon, the powerful military leader, <laughs> of 300 you, you can hardly believe it's the same man you know you know early on he 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 is in the wine press and he is fearful and now he's a man of incredible courage before he is a defeated man along with the rest of his nation hiding from the enemy here he is a victorious he is a victorious warrior over the enemy previously he is hiding not wanting to be noticed. Now he's engaged with the things of God and the things that God is doing in this world. Previously, he's focused just on himself and making sure that his family has food on the table. Here, he's focused on God and God's will and the accomplishment of what God wants done in this circumstances, in the here and the now. See, it, it, it's like night and day. And what's going on here is that God had given him gifts and abilities that he probably didn't have a clue that he, that, that he you know, had prior when he was in the, in the wine press. And in obedience, he used them, and he entered into this, can I call it this, cooperative partnership with God? I used that term when we talked about prayer in the fall. We pray and God does. <laughs> and here, he acts and God moves. So yes, Gideon is involved in what God is accomplishing. It is God who wins the battle, but Gideon has a role to play. And through Gideon being the leader God had made him to be, to be an incredible victory was accomplished for God's people, for the glory of God. Here's what I want to tell you today, my friends. We are as he was. And God wants us to stop, to stop living in the wine press and to go on the strength that he has given to us, 
to go in an absolute conf confidence that as we step out in faith and obedience based on what God has spoken, we aware of our own weakness that God will act in supernatural power. Do you believe that? You? Oh, not me. Not, well, maybe the pastors. Maybe the staff. Maybe the elders. They're godly people, you know, but not me. Do not deny what the Word of God is saying today. Do not contradict the voice of God as it is spoken through Gideon's life. He will use you. You may have gifts that you have absolutely no idea about. You probably do, according to the text. And if you will simply trust God in obedience, recognizing your weakness, you will become someone who, who becomes a cooperative partner in the movement of God in this world. And the enemy will be overcome. Now, again, I say to you, do you believe that? Either you do or you don't. See, this way of God... <laughs> As simply as I can state this, this, what we see in Gideon, is how God wants us to live. We are Gideon. Pointedly, you are Gideon. We live among an oppressed people. Do you believe that? The people who surround us are oppressed. Our enemy, the devil, is powerful, and he is real, and he is dominant. And no one has the power to throw him off and live a, an abundant life, maximize life on their own, just as the Israelites couldn't do it. The enemy was too powerful. Sin enslaves. And Paul tells us that in Romans it becomes our master, he says. We can't, we can't shake it. It's, it's too much. Idolatry is so common in this world as people have turned away from God and are looking to other things to bless and, and to provide for them and to save. I did a whole sermon on that, so I'm not going to re-preach it. People are looking for, for life and things that can't give it. And the result is that people are living, and this comes, this word is used at the beginning of chapter 6, people are today living impoverished lives. Maybe not physically, but spiritually, emotionally, and relationally in so many ways. People are living impoverished lives because they're living life without Jesus. The one who can come and overpower the enemy and who can give them life. You see, Jesus said in absolute clear terms that he came to set us free. Numerous times. I'm going to read to you Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19 famous words of Jesus quoting Isaiah which he believed referenced himself. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. How were the Israelites doing in these days of oppression? <laughs> they were poor. <laughs> they had no food. They had no crops. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to say to the people of this world, God's grace is now available to you and you can be free. 
you can live very differently than you are living now as you come to know and believe in the reality of the person of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you too, well, I should say, we are nothing other than the followers of Jesus, right? The people who follow after the one who lived his life to that end and who now exist in order to carry on the work that he began until its completion when the Midianites are destroyed (laughs) and the enemy is no more. And I want to tell you this reality, my friends. For those of us who are in Christ, God empowers us by his spirit, particularly when we are serving him in this fashion. Read Acts chapter 1, read Acts chapter 2, and the essence is the same. The message is that God clothes us with his power, just as he clothed Gideon. But here's the challenge. Are we willing to get out of the wine press? See, this whole series all comes down to this. Four weeks. Me killing myself to write the sermons and to preach them, you listening to them for these 30 to 35 minutes, four Sundays in a row. What are we going to do with this? (laughs) Will we get out of the wine press? Will we stop kind of focusing on ourselves and our needs and thinking that the purpose of my life is to thrash wheat, do my job, Look after my family. Can I just keep plodding on? Well, I recognize that God has put me in this world for a greater purpose. I'm going to continue to feed my family. I'm going to continue to do my work. But at the heart of my life is the passion to participate in the coming of the kingdom of God and people being set free from oppression. At the heart of my focus is not just myself and those around me, but those who are struggling and impoverished and needing to hear the message of Jesus and find life in him. And the focus in my life is not hiding anymore. No, it's stepping out, and I'm going to participate in the way God has created me to participate by listening to what he has to say to me and doing it because I now trust him with all of my heart. So really the question is, as I wind down here is what will you do with the Gideon story? Like honestly. And the potential is, and it's very real, that you will go from this fourth sermon and do nothing. That's the discouraging component of my world. <laughs> but it's true. There are people who hear this sort of thing and you know, go from here and do nothing. Even people who believe They're engaged for the moment, but they step out there and they start drinking coffee and talking about the All-Star game last night. Oh, no, i got to get home. And it's gone. Let Let me say this to you. I hope and I pray that God has spoken into your life today and over the course of this series so that you're beginning to hear his call. you got to listen. And so much so that when you know what God is calling you to do, I can't define that. I don't know what that is. But when you hear it, you do it in obedience, knowing that it's his strength and not yours that counts. I think about these people going to Nicaragua. And I think the first time that each of them went, is anybody going for the first time this year? Glenn, I think, may be the only one. But everybody who goes for the first time steps out of the wine press. 
Because, you know, you're leaving your culture, you're leaving your country, you're leaving people who speak the same language as you and who look like you, you're leaving wealth to enter into poverty, you really don't know what's coming, it's scary. But the people who go are stepping out of the wine press in order to do what God calls them to do. Are there such people here today who have been hearing this call and it's time to respond to what David said earlier and actually plan to go next year? I don't know. Don't go if God doesn't call you to go. But if he calls you to go, go! <laughs> Just do it in faith and in obedience and the supernatural power of God will be released through you and the enemy will be overcome just a little bit more. But I know God has something for you and he's calling you to act in obedience and in great faith in spite of fear to do what he has created you to do that you might exercise the gifts that he has given you to exercise for his glory. All I can say is God wants to release his supernatural power in you. I can say that with absolute confidence based on the authority of the word of God. I know it. If you will respond, if you will listen, if you will obey, if you will refocus your life, and if you will engage. I'm going to ask the band to come now. And as they come, I just want to finish with this comment. And it's essentially, you notice how I finish, I look at my, my watch after I'm almost finished preaching every time? I don't think about it otherwise. It's terrible. But at the end of your life, trusting that God gives you that opportunity, and you look back and ask yourself, have I lived well? Will you have lived a maximized life? And will you have stayed in the wine press and played it safe, done what you wanted to do versus what God wants you to do, and never discovered the adventure with God that he is calling you into right now? I hope and pray when I get there, I can look back and say, I did it. I did it, God, <laughs> for you. And I hope for every single person here, you too, can get to the end of that life and with joy and with gratitude and with an enthusiasm that com has come from encountering the Lord working in you in dramatic and beautiful ways, you can say, I did it too. I did it too. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, your people are before you here this morning, many of them. And the message of Scripture is really clear that we are Gideon and that we're called to something more. God, I pray particularly for people who are in the wine press and know it, that they will choose today to live differently, to engage you, to listen to you, to obey you, to refocus their lives and their energies so that the passion of their hearts becomes the building of the kingdom of God, the overcoming of the enemy, the seeing of the supernatural power of God flowing through them that other lives might be blessed. Whether they step into mission work or whether they step into going to Nicaragua, whether they step into ministry here or ministry in our community, Lord God, I pray that with every single one of your people that you will clothe them with power 
that you will call them to be part of something remarkable so that they can see because they have engaged that you are doing something powerful and beautiful in this world. Lord, I pray that we'll become a church that lives like this, that enters into the way of God, recognizing our weakness, but seeing the power of God among us. So come, Lord, speak to us. Identify what you want each of us to do. And then give us the grace and the desire and the courage to do what Gideon did. God, we pray in Jesus' name.